Hi, this is Pastor Mike Gordon, and welcome to Bethel Brandon's Sunday Message. For more information about this podcast and more resources, visit us at BethelBrandon.ca. That video was called uh, the hope uh, for the new year. We need hope for uh, the new year. Like since last year was such a wonderful year. I, uh, come on, really. It has been uh, a tough time uh, for everyone. And so we begin to ask ourselves as we get a new year. It's almost like pressing that kind of uh, default button. We kind of start. It's not really the way it is, but that's what kind of happens uh, in our mind. And, and so I've been really praying that God will somehow give us some kind of indication as how to go because we want to continue to take a look at the fact that we want to be effective in, in reaching people uh, for Jesus. And, and so the question is, are we ready for 2021? That's a question you have to ask yourself. As I was, as I was praying and as I was trying to seek the Lord and, and begin to ask myself, God, what are you wanting to do through us? And what are you wanting to do uh, through each and every individual who is perhaps listening today? And I began to pray a prayer that, God, have the right people listen to this sermon because I believe, God, that you're wanting to speak to souls. You're wanting to speak to each and every one of us at a deeper level. And I've come to this realization that the length of the, par- the, the pandemic will be in direct relation to the preparation of the church. Do you believe that? I believe that God is doing many things through this time, uh, but I think one thing that he is doing is he is preparing for us and he's calling upon us to be prepared for the next season. And the sooner we graduate from that, I think the sooner we will be out for, of this and, and be able to see different things that God can, can do in our midst. And so I believe that the direction that we need to be going is on our knees to pray. And so I wanted to pray this prayer before we got started for an anointing upon all of us whether that's me as the pastor of the church or anyone on the staff or whether you call Bethel home or not, if you are listening to this message, I want to pray for an anointing upon your life as we begin uh, 2021. Dear God, I just ask that you will be in this time and that, Lord, you will speak to our hearts because you have a challenge for us that you're calling us to bigger and stronger things. And I'm not too sure exactly how everything is going to look. And, but, Lord, whatever does happen this year, I want to be prepared And I want every person who listens to this message this morning, whether it's live or a little bit later, whatever the case, I want them to be prepared. And so, Lord, as we anticipate your hand moving, I ask, God, that you will move in a great way. In our midst, we pray. And bless this message, God. Let it it fall on fertile ground, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I find myself praying for wisdom, praying for direction, praying that God will will move in my life the way that I live, the way that I react, the way that I act in my life. And, 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 And a lot of times people think, well, okay, if I'm physically strong, then that will work towards me being emotionally and mentally strong, which can allow me to be spiritually strong. But as a passionate follower of Jesus, sometimes we reverse that, don't we? We say, if I am spiritually strong, that will lead me to be emotionally and mentally strong. This will lead me to be physically strong so that I can actually do the things that God uh, wants me uh, to be. It's kind of the way the New Testament church did it. Everything that they did was precipiced on this thing which was called prayer. 
right from the very beginning. Take a look at Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. And, and uh, for those of you who don't know the story in the book of Acts, the, the disciples are looking towards Jesus. And Jesus, before he leaves, says, listen, stick around Jerusalem because you're going to want to have the Holy Spirit. So what happens is they go back into Jerusalem and they get themselves up into an upper room and they begin to pray. And God eventually moves. And if you take a look through the whole book of Acts, they talk about times as they prayed, the Holy Spirit spoke to their hearts. And, and the decisions, the best decisions that you will make will be the decisions that you will make after you have prayed. That's something which is incredibly important. I'm going to borrow a, 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 an analogy from um, the movie Apollo 13. That's kind of getting to be an old movie now, but I remember when it had first come out. And it's a story of, of a catastrophe that happened that was averted in NASA. And there's a part where they had to get the, the spaceship back to Earth and try and keep these astronauts alive. And, and everything wasn't looking too good at the beginning. And there's a line in the story that goes, this is going to be the worst disaster in the history of NASA. And the line of the movie is this. No, I don't think so. I think that this is going to be, on the contrary, this is going to be our finest hour. And as we're at the beginning of 2021, I pose that question to you. Oh, boy, these things have been terrible. I, I'm not too sure what to do, which way to go, what, what, what direction do we take? I say this, if we hang on to God, this could be our finest hour. Let me direct your attention to, I believe, one of the most famous passages in the Old Testament is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. I have heard it quoted time and time again, and so have you probably, if you've been in the church any length of time. It's an important passage of Scripture. It's one that, that we look to a lot. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then... I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. If there was anyone in church, I would kind of say, if you've heard this verse, raise your hand. So if you're at home, if you've heard this verse, this verse, raise your hand. See, I told you there's so many who have. And do you remember, um, do you remember science class? I don't know um, uh, if things have changed a whole lot. But when I was in science class in high school, they would have experiments that they would make you do. But before you did the uh, experiment, you would have to write down what was called a hypothesis. And the hypothesis was supposed to be written in what was called an if-then statement. Do you remember that? If. If I take nitroglycerin and I shake it really quickly, then I could very truly die. Or, you know, if... If I ate a banana and a Coke at the same time, then um, I would feel sick after a while. If I took a whole package of Mentos and I put them in a two-liter bottle of uh, Coke and shook it, then um, I would have to eventually change my clothes. It would get all over the place. It's kind of funny. And, and when we think of terms of a hypothesis, an educated guess, and as we take a look at this passage, which is an if-then statement... Here's the difference. God does not hypothesize. God, who is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-present, is the same yesterday, today, and forever, is never under the delusion of, oh, well, what will happen if this takes place? Then that will take place. For God is not a hypothesis. It is a promise. 
So when God gives an if-then statement, it is not something that might perhaps maybe happen. It is something that will happen because he is God. Either that or it's an indictment. If I don't humble myself, if I don't pray, if I don't turn from my wicked ways, if I, if I don't seek his face, then what will happen? An important part of this passage is what we will call context. And context is really important there because it kind of gives you an idea of where you are in the framework of the story, where you are in the framework of the passages of Scripture. And you should always take a look at the context of a verse. Now, if we take a look at, at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 13, it is amazing because all of a sudden there is an additive. There is a when added to the if and the then. Because if you look at verse 13, this is what it says. And, and this is amazing. It says, when... I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people. Now hold on a second here. Send a plague amongst my people? So basically this, this passage of scripture is talking about how God reacts in the midst of a plague. Now that makes something which is amazing scripture, something which is an abundantly amazing scripture for us to look at today. And, and um, I have heard people who have said, Many times we misquote this verse. This was a verse that was kind of meant for the Jews and Israel at that particular time. You can't really pray this thing for Canada because it was talking about the temple at that particular time and the covenant that God had had with his people. And there was an element of truth to that. But I have come to realize something when I look at this passage of Scripture. That as I have studied moves of God... As I have studied revivals that have taken place, and you have seen what has happened, and, and we have the, uh, the luxury of the fact that we can look back and see what had happened at those particular times, that there is a universality to this particular passage of Scripture. If you've taken a look and you have seen that revivals have happened, what has happened? Well, people began to humble themselves. They began to pray. They began to seek His face. They began to repent of the sin that was going on, and God, as a result, moved. It's almost like there is, there is a rule in effect. There is a law in effect. That there are physical laws of nature and there are spiritual laws of nature. If I, uh, if I take a 20-pound iron ball and I drop it off a 10-story building, that iron ball will drop at 9.8 meters per second. If I take a 100-pound ball and drop it, it will drop at 9.8 meters per second. Well, that's what the law of gravity says. If I put uh, some water on the stove, that water will not boil until it reaches 100 degrees Celsius or 212 degrees Fahrenheit because that is the boiling point. It's a physical law. And just as there are physical laws, there are spiritual laws that are in fact. Take a look at Galatians chapter 6, which says, a man will sow what he reaps. It is a spiritual law. You take a look at Luke chapter 6, verse 38. There's a, a generosity law, which basically says that the shovel that you use to be generous towards others will be the same shovel that God uses to be generous towards you. These are spiritual laws. So when we take a look at 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, we realize that there are five laws in effect. Laws for awakening, laws for revival in the hearts of people. And this is what the Word of God gives us. So if you give me just a couple of minutes, let me kind of briefly tell you about what these five laws are. The first one is this, and it's an important one. It basically says this, if my people who are called by my name. This is important. This is the one that we get wrong sometimes because revival does not happen 
when the world changes its behavior. Revival happens when God's people change theirs. The, the verse doesn't say, if this world will humble itself and if they will turn from their wicked ways and if they will seek me, then things will change. No, it doesn't say that. Basically says that the onus is on God's people to do the changing. That if there's going to be revival, it's going to be when God's people begin to stand up and begin to do it because they have an authority. And if they have an authority, then they have a responsibility. You've heard that quote. To him who has great powers also has great responsibility. So that's the first law. It's an important law for us to understand as we get into the rest of it. The, the second one is called humility, to humble ourselves. And I've asked myself that idea of humbling, self, humbling myself. How well have I done in terms of humbling myself or humility when it comes to this pandemic? How humble have I really been? Or have I kind of been shaking my fist or have I been angry and I've had said, hey, I've got my rights. You can't do this to me. What exactly is humility? Does humility mean that I kind of uh, cower into a corner? Or is, does humility basically mean that I take a back seat and not get involved? No, not at all. Humility is this. Humility is not to think less of ourselves, but to think of ourselves less. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It is thinking of ourselves less. I look what 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says. He says this, clothe yourself. You put it on like you would put on your clothes every day. Clothe yourself with humility. Because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So if pride becomes the issue, what happens is you think that God is working for you, but in fact he is working against you. That's how important humility is. That's how important humbleness is. One of the greatest apostles of faith, and that's what they called him, the apostle of faith, is a fellow whose name is Smith Wigglesworth. And for those who might be listening, you have heard of Smith Wigglesworth and the incredible works and things that he had done. He had a quote, and I don't want, I'm, not, I'm not quoting it particularly um, uh, verbatim, but this is what Smith Wigglesworth said. He said, the most important things that God gives you are not on the top shelf, but are usually on the bottom shelf. Let me say that again. That the most important gifts that God will give you will not be on the top shelf. They'll be on the bottom shelf. In other words, you have to lower yourself to get them. That's how important it is. I've come to realize that every time sin has been in my life, Pride has been in the driver's seat. And if it hasn't been in the driver's seat, it has certainly been in the passenger seat. It seems to be connected to everything that I do which is wrong. It starts with humility. Humility is that point where, where I take myself off the throne. Pride is that thing that wants to keep me on the throne of my life. Um, pride is that point where I try and get everything that I can out of God. Humility is when God finally is able to get everything he can out of me. And when I have humility, basically I have to give up my right. I have to give up my right to be angry, to be correct, to be heard first, to be justfully treated, all that kind of stuff. That's a tough law. The next law he goes on is this, pray. To pray. And, and, and we've heard of this term. If you have grown up in the church, you have heard everything that there is probably to hear about prayer. 
Let me ask yourself, and this is an important thing, because we, we get talking about praying, we turn ourselves off and say, okay, I've heard about this, let's get on to the next point, because I know everything that there is to know about prayer. What exactly is prayer? What happens when I do pray? When I pray, I come to the realization that my greatest power and my greatest destiny is going to be outside of myself. Nothing more, nothing less than that. So when I'm not praying, I'm the one who's in control. And when I am praying, God is the one. I'm saying, God, you are in control. And you can say in your heart that that's the way it is, but unless you are praying, that is not true in your your life. Prayer is that time when I release control to God's greatest power in the universe. It's when I exercise my greatest spiritual weapon. And when I pray, I am dangerous. And when I don't pray, I'm not dangerous. And when I pray and I'm dangerous, then there's resistance in my life because I am dangerous. That's the one interesting thing about prayer. God's uh, prayer releases God to work. God, uh, prayer allows God to speak in our lives. As I'm praying, the Holy Spirit begins to prompt and communicate with me. And, and prayer does not really change God. Prayer eventually changes me. And many times when we're praying, we're thinking about the condition which is outside of ourselves. But really, when God begins to work in our lives in prayer, he is more concerned about the condition inside of ourselves, which will affect the condition outside of myself. Does that make sense? That's something which is absolutely important for us to understand. I remember hearing about Charles Spurgeon and his famous quote is, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the hand of omnipotence. If you want to see God move, you need to be praying. I remember there's a story that Charles Spurgeon has talked about in his memoirs when a person says, hey, show me the most important room in the church. And he shows them this room in the back corner right by the furnished room. And as he opens the door, there's a whole bunch of people who are praying in the room, even though it's in the middle of the week. And he says, this is our prayer room. This is the most powerful and the most important room in the church. It is that important. It is it, prayer when maintained. If I pray and I keep praying, it allows me to understand my part in God's plan. If I'm not praying, chances are I'll be a little bit fuzzy in terms of what God's plan is for my life. And therefore, prayer works on the condition inside of me. And when God moves on the inside of me through prayer, then God is able to move on the outward things that go on in my life. So important. The law of prayer. Then it goes on and says this. The fourth law is this. Seek my face. Well, isn't that the same as prayer? Well, yeah, kind of, but I think there's a different gear in there somewhere along the way. Let me put it this way. You take a look at Acts chapter 12, and for those of you who don't know the story, the church is praying. It's not that they weren't praying, but all of a sudden in Acts chapter 12, James the apostle is killed by Herod, and then he puts Peter in jail, and he's planning on killing Peter, and then the church begins to seek the face of God. You kind of see the difference between one and the other. It's almost like there's a, a, a difference in the uh, sense of urgency, and we begin to shake off apathy. We begin to shake off lethargy. We begin to say, okay, God, I really need to serve you. All of a sudden, you're praying, and everything's going right, and then your spouse comes in and says, you know what? There's somebody else. I'm no longer in love with you. 
I'm going and I'm moving out and I'm moving in with them. And all of a sudden you begin to seek the face of God. Or you get a phone call and, and it's a, a call about, about a relative of yours or perhaps even your son or your daughter and something terrible has taken place. And all of a sudden something which is just a prayer issue becomes a seeking his face issue. All of a sudden, something takes place and you lose your job and you realize that there's a mortgage and what takes place is it doesn't become just a prayer issue. It becomes, I'm seeking his face issue. And I think most of us, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, can tell the difference between a prayer issue and a seeking his face issue. Every time I'm trying to seek someone's face, I'm trying, and whether it's God or someone else, I'm trying to get their attention. When I'm seeking the face of God, I'm trying to get his attention. Hey, God, this is a serious thing here. Can you come and can you help me? And, it, and there is something, there were probably people who were praying at that particular time. The question is, are there people who are seeking face of God at that time? I think that the many people are praying during this pandemic. My question is, how many people are actually seeking the face of God during this pandemic? has to do with intensity. It has to do with earnestness and insistence and persistence. The difference many times is our desire seems to be amped up. It's desire on steroids, so to speak. The difference is in our resolve and our resolution and our determination and, and even our desperation. All those words seem to come into place. It has to do with the reality of the situation because you will not seek the face of God until you are confronted with the reality of the situation. That's what makes the difference. For those of you who are sports fans, every good sports team has someone who is willing to get dirty. Someone who's willing to go into the corner. Someone who is willing to get blood on their uniform. Someone who is willing to not care about anything else but to get the job done. Seeking his face is getting dirty praying. It comes with, with words such as labor. It comes with words such as waiting. It talks about spiritual battle. It talks about fasting. It talks about prolonged struggle. It talks about travail. It is pushing things to the tipping point because there is no other option to seek his face. And then the last one is this. Law number five. To turn from our wicked ways. Well, we have that one down. Most people who are listening here are probably good church-going individuals. And so we really don't have to deal with this thing called wickedness. This is one that we can go down. I could probably easily just kind of slip through this, kind of give a little token speech on this. But the reality is this. Many times we are either blonde or blind. <laughs> we are blonde. We are blind uh, or tolerant to our wickedness. There have been studies which have shown, uh, and they've done in, uh, studies in maximum security prisons where sociologists have done a study of those people who are facing um, life in prison for incredibly, incredibly violent crimes. And, and as they interviewed them, they asked them this question, do you basically see yourself as a good person? And a vast majority say, yes, I'm basically a good person. So what is this term wickedness and the, how do we qualify this? Well, first of all, I've come to find this after over 30 years of ministry. That the church seems to have a book on wickedness and God seems to have a book on wickedness. But for some reason, 
the two are a little bit different. That I think that the wickedness that God many times looks at is the kind of wickedness that will fly underneath the radar. Doesn't have so much to do uh, with actions as it does attitudes and motivations and selfish agenda. If you take a look at Genesis chapter 6 and they talk about Noah and the ark and why God decided, hey, I've had enough. I'm going to cause a flood. I'm going to destroy the world. You take a look at Genesis chapter 6. Basically what it says, it wasn't the fact that they were doing all these difficult things. Basically it was saying that every inclination of their heart was wicked. Kind of interesting. I don't know if wickedness deals with just robbing a bank and killing someone. And, and hey, <laughs> I'm not downplaying those things. But many times the biggest degrees of wickedness are in the things that we don't see. In jealousy that is deep-seated and doesn't leave, and greed that doesn't leave, and, and lust that harbors itself in its life, and anger that doesn't leave in our life, and, and pride, and manipulating the system so that you're the one that benefits, even though it looks like it's just a coincidence that it happens, and judgmentalism that, that stays in our life, and, and gluttony, and materialism, and a critical spirit, and praying that God will bless our church and no other church. It's not the blatant sin that's the most dangerous. It's the hidden sin that's the most dangerous. Turn from his wicked ways. You remember the story in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14? Jesus is talking. And he sees two people at an altar. He talks about two people being at the altar at the same time. One is a Pharisee, one of the elite religious people. The other one is a tax collector who is at the bottom of the barrel when it comes to sin. And Jesus, as he tells the story, says this. He says, the Pharisee is the one that says, oh, God, I'm so thankful that I'm not like that tax collector. Take a look at him. Boy, that guy's going nowhere. I don't think he's going to make it to heaven. Is this prayer really going to make a difference? And he says, to the, he says about the tax collector, he begins to hit his chest. He is so overwhelmed by the sin in his life. He says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And as we know the story, basically, Jesus says, this is a guy who's going to be justified. And here's the, here's the important thing to understand about this law. Revival will come when we go from being the Pharisee to being the tax collector. Because there's a lot of Pharisee in us, whether we want to admit it or not. Then the Bible goes on and says, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. What about that part? That part is what God is in control of. I have no control in that. All I understand is this, is that God is absolutely faithful. And if we hold to the laws of revival, that God can't help but do something in our midst and in our lives. And the question that haunts me, the question that I ask myself as I start 2021 is this. Am I ready to do what it takes? Am I willing and able to pour myself in to those five laws. Because the truth of the matter is this. As I have started and am finishing this sermon, chances are for many who are listening, I have not told you something which is new. The problem is not that we don't know what to do. The problem is that we do know what to do. And that's kind of a scary thing. I came across a, a story this week that kind of spoke to me. 
It was from an article in Dear Abby, for those of you who remember the Dear Abby uh, uh, newspaper articles. And the story was of an individual who goes to a psychologist and says, I think I'm going crazy. He says, why? He says, I keep hearing voices all the time. Really, tell me about these voices. He says, well, their voices never, ever end. And sometimes it's in the form of music. And other times it is people speaking. And, and as a matter of fact, I just hear someone speaking right now. And, and he says, it almost seems like it's, it's an interview or something taking place. And he says, well, he said, tell me about this, this, this voice that you're hearing right now, what it's about. And, and he begins to say, it sounds like this person on this particular radio station, this is what he's talking about. And so the psychiatrist or psychologist turns on the radio and lo and behold, this person is speaking on that. And he's saying, what's going on here? What do you do for a living? And well, I live in a bottle factory which creates bottles. And it ends up that what had taken place is he had breathed in some of the silicone or the, sili the silica articles that had taken place and they had formed in his cavities, in his teeth and the saliva and the silicone and the bridge work that he had had in his, in his mouth had made him into a human, uh, uh, what is that called? The, a human radio receiver. <laughs> so he began to hear all these voices and so what they did is they took him to a dentist and they cleaned out his teeth and they they filled in all the cavities and they they worked on the bridge life and and basically he went off air interesting story isn't it i asked myself this question what's happened to us what's happened to you in this pandemic have you kind of gone off air have you, have you lost the reception of the Holy Spirit? There was a time when God was talking to you and there was a time when you were talking to God and, and you could hear from God and you knew exactly what God was saying and the Holy Spirit was prompting you as, a, as you went along, but somehow through time, experience, whatever, you've kind of gone off air. I'll tell you what, I don't really want to go through off go off air. I want to be receptive to what God is trying to say to, to my heart, to my life. And you know, 20 years from now, we're going to take a look at this time, pandemic time or whatever challenging time we want to call it. We're going to see whether we sat through this pandemic, whether we stood through this pandemic, or whether we stepped through this So what do we do? What's the vision? The vision right now is that we pray, that we call on God, that we humble ourselves, and we say, God, give me wisdom. Lord, allow your anointing to take place. I, I want a wisdom that comes from you, and I, I want an anointing that comes from you, because nobody comes to know you unless you're the one who draws them, God. And Lord, I just pray that I will live a life that is right. And I pray, Father, that I will do the right things. And that, God, you will lead me. And God, you will give me the right direction. And, and that, God, you will, you will make me ready. And that, God, I pray for an open door that will take place. And, and that, Lord, you will begin to, to fill in the gap and give me a method that will work, that will fill in the gap between a world that is lost and a church that loves you and loves this world and somehow makes a difference. And maybe even the most thing is this. God, what is the best way that I can serve? What is the best way that I can actually serve you and have a servant's heart? Because if your thought is this, what is the church going to be 
What is the church going to do for me in 2021? You might be disappointed because I don't know if that's what it's about. So God, I pray that you move. God, I pray that you will speak at a heart level. I, I have nothing to give in my own strength, but Holy Spirit, I pray that you unctionize your word today, tonight, whenever it is heard, to the people who you are wanting to hear it. And I believe with all of my heart that those people who are listening at this time, this message is for them. Pray, God, that you will make us men and women of prayer, and that you will make us women and men of humility and strength and honor to you. That, God, we will live lives that are pure. That you are good. And, God, we just call upon you because you are faithful. I pray right now in Jesus' name for a powerful move of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that will cause us to begin to seek you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook.